Okay, I want to talk to you today about your relationship with the Lord, uh, if you have one. Um, and if you don't, I, we'd like to offer that to you today and encourage you to, to begin one. But um, our conversations with the Lord um, should evolve. They, they should develop over time, right? Uh, put it this way, some of you have been together for decades, right? Well, I'm hoping your conversation has graduated beyond that of your first date where you asked each other how many brothers and sisters you had and what's your favorite color. I'm hoping you've gotten beyond that. And in essence, we should know one another far better as we spend time and invest time with one another. And I think the Lord should be the same as that. I think a church experience should go beyond uh, the grammar school level of an understanding of who God is and what his word is all about and advance to something beyond that. Uh, this world is confused and um, wavering, tottering in a highly um, confused and, and divided state. And what this world needs are Christians who have more than a elementary third grade certificate of Bible literacy. They need us to be people with some depth of understanding, depth of devotion, depth of allegiance, and, and depth of relevance on how to not only know truth, but how to make it relevant to people. That is to say, we need to be go, go beyond the elementary teachings of Christ. Now, there is a place for it, of course, but we're gonna look at Hebrews 6 today, and we're going to, and I'm going to encourage you to go beyond the elementary teachings of Christ, as important as they are, as foundational as they are, some of us need to go back and gather them up and others of us need to go beyond and maybe way beyond the elementary teachings of Christ. So says the writer of Hebrews. Sometimes, and I, and I get this feeling, it's not my experience because I didn't grow up going to church, so I don't know. But I get the impression often uh, that people will attend a church and the basics become all they ever hear. And that has both a positive side and a negative side. You could, you could actually attend a church, hear the basics, take a year and a half off and come back to the church and it'd be like you're in a soap opera. You haven't really missed anything. You know where the story's going and you can pretty much tell what's been said for in your absence. Well, we, we can ill afford to be that kind of ministry. We have to be a ministry that calls people to a rock higher than themselves, that stretches you beyond your own familiar doctrine. Uh, you hear this a lot in this church because people, this is a spiritually eclectic group of people. You come from all different backgrounds. And what is really needed most among those who are of diverse backgrounds is to fill in any of the gaps that may have been created or the voids that were created in the previous ministries you were in to round out the full counsel of the word of God, not just what you've been told or taught or conditioned to think. There's much more uh, than just the elementary teachings of the faith. And we, we praise God for him at the same time. And the, and the devoted uh, ministers who, 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 who get in the trenches of life and provide the basics, we need those. We certainly need those. But we have the word of God. Um, and you should come to the church and, and you should say, does this guy know what he's talking about? Those who are visiting today, you, you need to ask yourself this question. Does that guy know what he's talking about? It's a good question, but it's not the best question. The better question is, what is that guy talking about? And does he deviate from the passage? 
Because if he doesn't deviate from the passage and he rightly divides the word of truth, he probably knows what he's talking about. You don't want opinions. You don't want uh, a lot of flowery stories and poems and whatnot. I'll go, I guess that has its place. But what you want is the word of God. And you want it given to you in such a way that it doesn't actually present itself to you in the way you think you need it or want it or a limited version of what you want. It needs to come to you in its fullness with truth and the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are important things in this day and time. In Ezekiel chapter 47, you can look at this later, the water of the, water of the Spirit, Jesus is making a metaphor in John chapter seven, is coming out from under the temple door, just a, like a trickle. And it's going out into a desert land, a very dry, arid place with very little life and a lot of heat. And as it goes underneath that door, it makes its way onto the desert, it forms little tiny creeks and tributaries. And then, in Ezekiel's vision, the water sort of increases in depth to where it's almost ankle deep. That's a good hard rain. But then it's knee deep. And then it's waist deep. And then he says, it was so deep you couldn't ford the river. But he also noticed from Anglium to, to uh, Egeti that fishermen started to show up in this water that was increasing in depth and they were catching, catching fish, fly catching. Plants were growing up where there was no plants. There was fish life. There was, there was a vegetation in the water and this little trickle had become something of an ecosystem, so to speak, providing for people. And it was just a, a reservoir of all kinds of life. Listen, if you, if you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and, and you haven't been given that much to eat beyond spiritual milk, or if what you've heard, you've just heard time and time and time again in just a slightly different manner, then you're in need of something that goes beyond the elementary teachings of the faith because the calling that's placed upon your life necessitates something beyond the third grade certificate. This world does not need us walking around with a fifth grade graduation certificate. They need to know that we've been through the fights and the trials and the illnesses and we have the experience and we've been tempered and the dross has been taken off the top and we've been sharpened or iron sharpens iron. They need to see us battle worthy, battle ready, having been through a lot of things, leaning in and leaning on God and standing on his promises far more than a third grader would understand. And the Ezekiel's vision, put it this way, when you attend a church, when you attend a ministry, when you go to a Bible study, please tell me that on some level, you're not ankle deep, you're not just knee deep, you're not just waist deep, but that somehow you're soaking in the word of God. The word of God to you and your walk and your worship and your experience with the Lord ought to be more like a warm bath than a small trickle where you do two things. You soak in the word of God and then you soak in the word of God. Two different things. You're immersed in, but that which you're immersed in is coming and soaking into you. Things of the spirit, things of, things of truth, of wisdom, of wise counsel, things that other people need from you. So you're here this morning, in my estimation, 
for a couple of reasons. That's what you do, which is great. That's what you do every couple of months, which isn't as great, but all right, whatever. Or you're here because maybe, just maybe, something will be imparted to you that goes beyond your scope of understanding and experience that matches up with someone out there who's lonely, angry, lost, destitute, hurting. Or they will be the hardest person to minister to. Everything in their life is going great. They've got more than they can ever spend, but they have little to no direction and little to no hope, biblically speaking anyway, of an eternity with God. We're here to go beyond the elementary teachings of the faith. So let's put it in context. We're gonna look today at Hebrews chapter six, verse one through 12, but we really have to know the context Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. And I think it's on the slide here. I'll read it to you. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Now remember, he's talking to Jewish people, Jewish believers. Really, people that have been steeped in the same Jewish teaching and belief for their whole entire life. You no longer really try to understand. In fact... Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Is there anyone here where third grade was the longest three years of your life? (laughs) I felt that way about chemistry class and statistics. It just never seemed to end. I want to read it again. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There it is. There's the litmus test right there. If you have a hard time distinguishing between good and evil, which is gonna be a a principle that we have to become so skilled at going forward in this world and those beyond us, the ability to quickly and easily discern between good and evil, you would think it's a stark difference, it's not. There are so many things that look right that aren't and things that don't that are. Uh, Just spiritual discernment. Hey, I just went through two years of COVID. I know what I'm talking about. Everybody was right in the church of Jesus Christ. Every single person was right, but one half disagreed with the other. You tell me, you figured that one out. Everybody was spot on right about their opinion and it basically disagreed with the other 50% of the church but yet everybody was right. I'd have to say half the people didn't have the spiritual discernment to discern what was right and wrong at the time. I would give the whole COVID season a D minus for the church. That's a, that, and that's a day on the beach compared to what's coming. We have to be able to get beyond the milk and easily discern the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. I was waiting for an amen. I'm just not that patient right now. 
I think you may have uttered something under your breath, Frank. Thank you for that. God bless you. You're not being a suck up, are you? Okay, all right. We're called to move. Here's your blanks for you. We're called to move beyond the elementary teachings of Christ. And we are called to places of maturity. Maturity. Some of your Bible translations say perfection. It's a pretty strong word. Although some of us may think we are, we're not, but we're moving towards perfection. It's a Greek word. It means you're pretty much put together, you're pretty whole. So each of us is called to maturity. I'm not sure we really know what that word means. I know it has a, an experiential type connotation to it, certainly, but not always. You can have wisdom beyond your years. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature from age 12, 13, 14 and up. How wise are you and how smart are you and do you know the difference between the two because intelligence and wisdom are two different things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. If you wanna have wisdom in life, you gotta have a healthy awe and reverence of God but at the same time draw near to him. Wisdom. Wisdom has little to do with experience in comparison to a reverence for God. We each need to know how to approach, understand, and live out difficult passages. Hebrews 6 is probably one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible. I thought I would try to tackle it today. There's just not enough time. So I'm going to spend an, an, a, an adequate amount of time in a, in a workshop on how to study the Bible because this is a very difficult passage. We'll not get there today, though. Community Bible Church provides biblical instruction it equips you as the priesthood of all believers. This came out of Luther and the Protestant Reformation. We are a priesthood of all believers. You're a priest. You're a priest in your home. You tend and keep. That's what a priest does. They tend and they keep. They feed, they nourish, they provide, they protect. Tend and keep. You're a priest. You're a priest in your family. You're a priest... To in the workplace, you are a representative of the Lord who paid for you. You're a priest, all of us. And we have a ministry. We have different gifts. Said another way, you are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. There are things already prepared for you to do. We best get on board with the idea that we're a priest. You're a priest at the country club. You're a priest at the country club you work at. You're a priest... In the workplace, you're a priest at school, in the classroom. I have been a priest in a classroom when the professor failed to live up to their role and responsibility. I straightened them out. I've done that before. Not to draw attention to myself, but because there needed to be a priest there, and there wasn't. Now you get to mocking priests and mocking the faith, I'll go ahead and show you who's the priest. But you've got to be ready in season and out, and it doesn't work with elementary teaching. Most every person you run into in this country is probably going to know some elementary teachings of the faith. Now, that's, that's becoming less and less, but we've got to be able to minister to them at a deeper level than that. The problems of this world and the challenges of this world that people deal with need meat, steak, bison, <laughs> filet. We don't need to hand people a baby bottle when they're dealing with some of the issues. Some of the issues we have yet to figure out how to deal with. 
Nobody knows how to deal with some of the issues. We can't be handing people a baby bottle. And you need, you need more than that anyway. We all do, so says the scripture. So let me read it to you. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of the Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. All right, he's making a case and a point. When he says, therefore, based on what I read to you earlier, when he says, therefore, since we need more than milk, he's going to make this point. And he's also going to rebuke his readers for their spiritual immaturity. There comes a time when people in Corinth had this problem. You're just spiritual infants, he said. Just, you're just drinking milk. Please don't critique Christianity based on warm milk. Please, grow in your faith, experience the things of God, seek him that he may be found because he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, and then critique the faith. Once you've gotten behind warm milk, warm milk is what you drink to go to sleep Right? So the, the church you attend, the ministry you're actively involved in ought to be serving up something that requires a knife. Please, a knife. At least a spoon, maybe even a fork. We've got it. This world needs it. Hello. We cannot be spiritually illiterate and spiritually emaciated drinking a liquid diet of milk. And if you have an issue with the church, a long-standing issue, and you're not there enough to really grow in your faith, don't say much. You really don't have a right to. Don't say much. Just listen. You need some meat. We've got enough people slamming the church to last this decade. So he continues with his instructions and warnings and he says, you know, basically he knows, all right, these people are immature. Here's one thing you don't do with someone who's immature. Bash them for their immaturity all the time. It's like casting your pearls before swine. Want for them something that they don't have. Let me give you some indications of maturity in a person's faith. You know, you meet somebody and you get to know them and you go, man, that, that woman right there is mature in the faith. Or that guy right there, he don't play. He, there's something there that I want. That's the bottom common denominator. Something there that I want from her and something there that I want from him. And it's a seasoning. It's a baking in. Uh, it's a baked in fragrance of maturity in a person, and, those, and, and if that's you, please make yourself available. Here are some indications of maturity. Wanting something for others more than yourself. There's an element of selflessness to a mature believer. The Bible, in all the 26 healing miracles of Jesus, you'll see every now and again, about every fourth one, you'll see people that brought a paralytic on a mat, you'll see people that begged Jesus to touch their friend, begged him to heal him. That's a sign of maturity. Do you want something for someone else more than you want it for yourself? 
The epitome of this example is Paul being willing to give up his salvation for his fellow Jews. It just is an example. I don't think he could or wanted to. He's trying to make a point. Do you want something for others more than yourself? I know there are some moms, some grandmoms, those that prayed for me out of the darkness, wanted something for me, wanted they wanted for themselves that they wouldn't have been up all night long praying for me. And you know who you are, men and women. Do you want something more for someone else than you want for yourself? A person is willing to give up anything in their life that comes between them and the Lord. That's maturity. One who goes the second mile. We've talked about that. You were required to pick up the pack of a Roman and walk a mile. You were not required to walk the second. But by walking the second, you caused the Roman whose pack you were carrying to contemplate what was going on with you What makes you different? What motivates you? And a person that picks up a pack and goes two miles has maturity about them. They're using the experience to teach someone who's supposedly their oppressor what freedom of choice is. That's maturity. Maturity is um, loving your enemy. That's pretty mature. That's <laughs> pretty mature. Uh, maturity is knowing that your enemy is not flesh and blood. Immaturity is making flesh and blood your enemy. That's what's happening in our country. Everyone that opposes someone is the enemy. And who gets off scot-free? The spirit behind, the, de- the accuser of the brethren, the spirit behind, the deceiver, the liar, behind the people that we have called enemy. It's the spirit that's motivating them that's the enemy. That's the difference between evaluating and discerning between good and evil. We've made people who are being influenced by darkness the enemy and the true enemy that we could easily defeat laughs at us and goes unabated. We've made people enemies. We've made people with varying philosophies and differences enemies And the more we crush them, the more Satan has free reign to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. That's discernment. It's also the scripture. A person knows mature, receives and understands mockery, persecution, resistance, and doesn't take it personally and cave. They realize that the mockery and the persecution is directed towards the one, her, the one they're making known, Christ. He tells us that in the Sermon on the Mount. If we never receive resistance or mockery, if we never receive any opposition, it may be that we're immature. Immaturity will keep us from engaging, defending, and explaining the faith and sharing the faith. Immaturity keeps us from that because of the wrong kinds of fear. But those who are receiving opposition, I remember when I first came to this church, it wasn't three, four, five weeks into the ministry, I I came uh, to church one morning, Sunday morning, and there was profanity all over the sign. And I thought, praise the Lord. 
Man, it only took five weeks. I was hoping it would be two, but five is good. What that told me was someone saw this church as a threat. And frankly, I gotta be honest with you, there weren't a whole lot of threats in the community at the time. Praise the Lord in all things, and I guess even for spray paint. Sign of maturity is humility, and humility is teachability. If a person's not teachable, they're immature. And you see this in the workplace with people that work for you. If you can't teach somebody or train somebody, you probably really shouldn't have hired them. They're immature. You gotta take another approach, you gotta take another something, but you gotta find a way to make it work. Maturity knows and understands and practices tough love and boundaries around relationships. Um, Christian people are, and we said this the other day, are the most trusting because they're the most trustworthy. And we trust, not all of us, we tend to trust too often scammers on the internet because we're good-hearted people. Maturity handles that with discernment, checking, asking, tough love. Uh, tough love helps the addict by not enabling them. Uh, codependency is immaturity. We have to put boundaries around relationships after we forgive somebody and not think we have to be back where we started. That's maturity. Maturity. Uh, it's not elementary. Uh, maturity is childlikeness, which is, uh, uh, maturity is being like a child, but not childish. So maturity is uh, laughing your head off, giggling a lot, running around and dancing, and playing with toys. Even if they're a 1953 Ford pickup. Childlike. Can't lose your childlikeness. Can't lose your goofiness. Can't lose your uniqueness. You can't lose what makes you special. Have fun, laugh, cut up. Enjoy your life. If your faith is a, if your faith, faith to you is a pain in the neck, something's wrong. If you don't get any joy out of your faith, what are we doing? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You ought to be, the one thing I do like about the chosen, I gotta be honest with you, is that the, the Jesus guy cuts up every once in a while. It's kind of funny. It makes you wonder. I do not think that Jesus of Nazareth walked around Palestine complaining about blisters all the time. I think he cut up a few jokes. Why not? Why not have fun? Why isn't your faith fun? You might be you're taking something too serious, or it may be we've left childlikeness behind in the elementary teachings, and we think that sophistication and your face looking like you've been sucking on a lemon for three hours is a mature thing. It's not. It's a gross thing. It's an intimidating thing. Nobody wants your scowl in their life. That's maturity. Uh, true love, mature person has true love, and, they, and that yields obedience. Obedience comes out of love, not obligation. You know this. Um, true maturity is a submission to authority, and because you do submit to authority, you walk in authority. R true maturity recognizes authority. 
Um, joy and enjoyment, I talked about that. Grace, grace ought to be the focal point of everything you do. You're, you've been the recipient of grace, now you ought to be extending it. Extending it to others. Uh, encouraging others, building others up. Giving people what they don't deserve. Complimenting people, finding something good to say about somebody. Grace, grace, grace. And gratitude versus complaining. Complaining is the number one, in my estimation, number one sign of immaturity. Complaining. I think if you're complaining, you should be put in prison. <laughs> is that harsh, Charlie? That's, that's harsh. It's real harsh after you got done talking about grace. See, I cut up on you. See there? See, what I did is that it was harsh because of grace and I made a joke out of it. Now I'm back to enjoyment. You like that? I think another sign of mature, uh, maturity in the walk is, um, yeah, yes, peace, but man, peace is so overused. Here's a word we haven't ruined yet, and I think it's equally as important, poise. You like that? That's a good word, poise. Poise under pressure. Poise in the midst of a trial. We need people in our life that we can look at when everyone's pulling their hair out. They look it over at, at the matriarch or the patriarch or so-and-so and they're not flipping out, right? Leadership needs to have poise, okay? We're gonna, it's gonna be okay. Let's figure this out, poise. Poise is a great word. It's even better when it's actually acted out. And then he says, that's maturity. Then he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Now let's give these people a break. They're Jewish and they've been Jewish their whole life. I mean, you know, Judaism is their thing and it's their way of showing love to God. It's Judaism is their conduit by which they understand who they are, who God is and everyone else is. In fact, they're the chosen people. So, I mean, everything they see is really through a lens of Judaism. But he said, listen, maturity is not gonna be about useless rituals. It's really not. We're gonna have to get beyond that. That's elementary. You know what a circle of shame is? That's not maturity. I'm gonna do right this time, I'm gonna get it right, I'm gonna do better. I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna do that. You're, if your Christianity is about what you're not going to do versus what you are gonna do, you're leaning more towards immaturity. Move more towards what you need to do, what you're called to do, what you're commanded to do, and all these other things, these vices and all these things will be so disempowered that you won't even have an issue with them when you start doing exactly what God calls you to do. You don't have to be perfect before you can start doing what God tells you to do. Just do what God tells you to do because he loves you and you love him, and all these other things are gonna be disempowered in no time. They won't even be an issue. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Don't seek an answer on how to be perfect in all these areas of vice that you have. You're wasting your time. That's elementary. Maturity pursues him. Seek me to find me and seek me with all your heart. Many of the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you in heart and to, uh, to, to protect you. And, and here we go. What are you doing? It should be positive, directed towards the Lord to glorify him and worship him. And don't worry about these other things. And that also means lack, Matthew 6, 33. But we say we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, and, and everything's gonna be all right, this will be different this time, I'm not gonna be this guy in the marriage, I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna drink, I'm not gonna smoke, whatever. And then you do, and the more you pumped it up that you were gonna get it done, and then you fail, the more shame you have for having done it, 
And the shame causes you to want to escape that horrible feeling of defeat, so you end up in the vice again. And then you say to yourself, here I am, right back where I started, but this time's different. I'm not gonna do it this time. This time's different. And the more you pump yourself up that you're gonna get it done, the more you fall, and then there's shame. And then you've gotta get back to the vice again, which causes you to finally come to the end of yourself and say, I'm gonna do it this time. Now this time I mean it. That's a circle of shame. That's laying again a foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death apart from the Lord. We should have not a circle in our life, we should have a linear trajectory and the trajectory of your growth in the Lord probably needs to be a 45 degree or less. This, this uh, Cape Canaveral spirituality where you, at one o'clock you got saved and you're in apostleship at three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> there, there just might be, hey, listen, there just might be a chance you come falling down. We need people in our life that are gonna help us really make progress. Picture a dartboard. Jesus is the bullseye. The first circle out of the bullseye is Pete, Jim, and John. The next one out is the rest of the 12, and then the 70, then the 120, and then the rest of the uttermost parts of the earth. And any given Sunday, you're in one of those circles, right outside the bullseye. You're real close, or you're out, or you're out, or you're really out, or I don't even know where you are. All the ministry is really trying to do is get you to consider, if not take a step or two, one circle in. Not three, not four, just one. Just one. Come on in, the water's fine. That's how you move from immaturity to maturity. Immaturity is to try to get you to do too much too soon and you end up worse than you started. Then you go to another church and you leave and you go see the pastor and you gotta go, could you fix me? Could you fix me? <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll fix you. What do you need, uh, five, 10 minutes? No, I need about a six months. Well, how'd you get this situation? It's a long story. Of faith in God. Listen, the word God is great. And God is good and God is great. I know all that. But we, we don't necessarily live in a godless society anymore. We live in a society that has a God or many gods. Some are capitalized, some are not. And we keep throwing around this word God, nobody's really gonna know what we're talking about. Let me give you a word, let me give you a name that is above every name. And it's not confused with any other God, small g or big. South, Southeastern Asia or Europe, South America is never confused. There's but one Jesus. Use that word. Uh, I think it's wise now not to blend in with all these other gods. And not even, and even the people that claim that Christ is their Lord and they call him God and everything, but their life just doesn't reflect any, any interaction with him whatsoever. Jesus. Let's go ahead and say it. It's a powerful name of faith in God. See, the God of this world is too inclusive. And Jesus is inclusive, is what he wants. But there's an exclusivity between him and other gods. 
right? And that's what you want, to differentiate. Instruction about cleansing rites. Hey, these Jewish people, man, they were big about this. And if you've been to Israel with Angie now, you know about this. The mikvah, the ritual bath that you get in and come out feeling better because you confessed your sin. They had that thing going on. They did a really good job of it, but it wasn't a baptism. By the way, the reason that you can baptize 3,000 people in one afternoon after Pentecost is because there was 100 mikvahs outside the southern steps of the temple. The very baths that people had to get into before they went in to worship and give their sacrifice. 30 people per, you got it done. 100 mikvahs, a Jewish ceremonial bath, will baptize, different word altogether, different meaning, will baptize 3,000 believers in one afternoon. And the laying on of hands. See, these Jewish people understood the laying on of hands. They understood the scapegoat, pressing the sin of the people on the goat and sending it out into town, out of the town. They understood putting your hand on your son and blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. They understood all of that, but they were missing it when it came to Christ. They didn't understand, I identify with you, I hurt with you, I empathize with you, and I'm going to impart to you something. Impartation. That's an elementary teaching. We have to get beyond that. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The Jews understood resurrection. If you ever been to Masada, they were up there under siege for I don't know how long, and the day they knew the Roman, the day before they knew the Romans were going to come and kill and rape their women. They all sat up there and had their last reading of the scripture, their last synagogue meeting before they all killed themselves. And what did they read? Ezekiel 37, the resurrection of the dry bones. They believed in resurrection. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. But he says, he says we gotta get beyond that because we can't just, we gotta get beyond the elementary teachings of resurrection and repentance and ritual cleansing and all of that because we're no different than these Jews. And he's saying to them, you're no different than who you've ever been if you're still clinging to what it was you believed your whole life. There's more, there's more, there's more. And I'm saying that to you today, there's more, there's more. There's more things of the Spirit. There's more things of uh, the empowerment of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. There's more, there's more, there's more. Don't you dare get satisfied with what you've been told and taught your whole life. As though the, the understanding of God and the teaching of the inspiration of his word is finite and can be accomplished. Come on, there's more, there's more, there's more. And the mature person knows there's more, begs for more, looks for more, expects more, prays for more, studies for more, and shares more. That's what this world needs, more. More of Christ and less of us. Less of us and more of Christ. And God permitting, we will do so. Yes, God permits the advancement. There's a rock that is higher than you, than you, and all you have to do is get to it in the power of the Spirit of God. More understanding, more depth, more devotion, more allegiance, more whatever, as long as it's earnest and of the Lord. Ask your pastor to give you more. Ask for more. They may not understand. Ask, you're visiting today, go ask. Can, can we get beyond this? Here's the signs of a need for graduation beyond elementary teaching. The teaching, the preaching will eventually sound like a broken record. And I just realized when I put that in my notes, 
Some people here won't even know what a record is, let alone a broken one. It's true, isn't it? Man, I'm an old. All right. A record was something you put on a record player. Some people here had to crank it up. Others here had to plug it in. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It went in a circle. You put, you put a needle on it and it played music. It kind of looks like a CD, if you can remember that. And then, or a DVD, if you can remember that. And then every once in a while the needle will get stuck and, the, and you just repeat the same thing of lyrics, right? Over and over and over. That was called the 45 and an LP and there were a lot of drugs involved. There's a lot of stuff I don't want to go into. Anyway, <laughs> it's probably better you don't even, I didn't even, sorry I even brought it up. Broken record. <laughs> the teaching sounds like a broken record. Same old songs. Same old seat on the same old pew. There's, there's good things about all of that. Familiar and family go hand in hand. What's most familiar to you will be your family. But don't get too familiar with the limited understanding you have of God and the scripture because that too will become family. Stretch, be stretched. Be open to new experiences. Don't exist in a cult-like environment where you're just kind of brainwashed all the time. It was, early for the, it was easy for these early Jews to fall back into that because that's what they do best, right? The rest of the passage is problematic. Hard to understand. Takes discernment. It's worthy of more attention on another day. But I'm going to end with this. Listen, you are, whether you know it or not, fill in your blanks, a blood-bought believer. You're not just a believer. You're a believer because you're bought with the blood of Christ, chosen by him to purchase you. That means you're worthy. It means you matter, and that means he wants you. That also means he owns you, by the way. Our life is not our own. You're a blood-bought believer who thinks. That's another sign of immaturity. The absence of actual cognitive thought in the presence of goosebumps 100% of the time. Enjoy your goosebumps. But they can't replace and sustain themselves your feelings about God and your feelings about experiences with God can't sustain themselves for your entire walk. You'll eventually have to have the mind of Christ. We're looking Tuesday morning with the men. I'm, 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 we're looking very hard at Jesus as the greatest logician in the history of the world. What is that? The logic and the reason that he used to make a case for who he was and what people should believe is astounding. He was more interested in winning people than arguments. He had already won the argument before it even started. Now he began to win people. That's a sign of maturity. Come let us reason together, Isaiah 1.18. You're a blood-bought believer who thinks and a blood-bought thinker who believes. 
This is what the world needs today. Thinkers who believe and believers who think. Last one, I am being equipped to minister to people at their point of need and to alter their hearts for all eternity. That's how powerful these weapons that we have are when we accurately use them and employ their services. The word of God, saturated with the spirit of God. That having been said, the problem becomes, the passage becomes problematic in a huge way because it's, he says it's, it's impossible for those who have tasted these things to repent and be brought back once they fall away. That, that's got your once saved, always saved doctrine in a squivet. That's got people thinking, what, what is going on here, this passage? So I'm teasing you a little bit. We'll get to that later because we need to spend time on how to deal with a problematic passage appropriately. But in the meantime, know this. If you're here today or online, and for whatever reason, you've never initiated, welcomed, or invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. One who has purchased you and knows what's best for you and will carry you through a process of growth and sanctification and will spend all eternity with him. That's a Lord or Savior. We sang about it this morning. One who has willingly paid your sin debt with his own death, becoming one with the sin of mankind and on the third day rose again. If you're without him, then there's really, from a spiritual standpoint, there really isn't even elementary teaching. We're, we're, we may even be in preschool. I implore you to accept him as your Lord and Savior. I want that for you in a huge way, as does everyone else here. That you may feel clean forgiven, called, that your life may take on depth of meaning and purpose, resolve and mission. And that you're not under the weight of your own punitive behavior because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all of us. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord but the wages of our sin is death. If you're without him, my friend, I still remember what that's like. I still remember how uncomfortable it was when someone told me about him or used his name. I still remember the awkwardness of wanting to run out of the room when someone offered salvation from the Bible but I've never met anyone in my entire life who accepted them as their Lord and regretted it. Never. So I'm gonna ask you to receive him in a moment. Think about that. I'm gonna pray for you. I don't wanna embarrass you, I wanna pray for you. Secondly, these Jews are, are really important for us to look at because there are, 
they looked religious, they did religious things, they went to religious buildings, they had religious rituals, they did religious feasts and celebrations. They had religious books, religious adornment, religious garb, religious headwear. They had a religious nationality. They had religious schooling. Some of them believed in the resurrection, in angels. The Pharisees evangelized in a huge way. The Pharisees of ancient Judaism evangelized more than the evangelical church in the United States of America, hands down. They would even get involved in a little uh, demon deliverance. And Jesus said, depart from me, you never knew me. This gets sticky. If your life's full of religious activity, church attendance, study, I commend you. Only to the extent you know the one they're writing about Know the one who has the power and know the one who dies for you. They were warning these Jews not to go back and miss the Christ because what was so familiar to them was so comfortable and convenient. They wore it like a warm blanket. They wouldn't be stretched beyond their own Judaism to see him for who he truly was. The very Messiah their Judaism promised they missed. Don't miss your Messiah.